Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast for C-suite IT executives and leaders from C-suite leaders. And now for today's podcast, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. And welcome back. This is Paul Lewis. I'm Howard Holton. And this is The Sweet Spot where we spend a good portion of our time talking about what interests us in hopes that it interests you. I like that. I like that intro. Yeah. So uh, so this is episode two, three, four, five, seven, nine. This is uh, episode four. Uh, in where... wonderful Tokyo, Japan. That's right. First time for me. Have you been here before? First time for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. And somehow you're coming back to Tokyo in two weeks. That is correct. Because so. I am a poor scheduler of events. Right. And, and you, like, you'd think you would have spread those out, right? Like, you know, right. you've, been, you've been doing IT for technology for 20, 30 years, late right. 20, right. 20 years? 25-ish years, yeah. Um, and so you'd think like 12 and a half years come to Tokyo, 12 and a half years come back to Tokyo. Instead, right. you waited 25 no. years and then come twice. Back to back. But right. in fairness, I'm going from Tokyo to Korea to Singapore to Kuala Lumpur to Singapore to Shanghai. Toronto back to right, right, right. And and you have a you have an interesting goal for this year. Yeah. Um. You know, we we work on a a team that, like many other teams, does a fair bit of travel. How much travel do you do a year? Let's give or take two hundred thousand miles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so like you have a non-work related kind of fun goal for this year. What is that right. goal? I have a uh, internal requirement. It's a it's a self drive uh, to reach every single Disney park in the world. Okay. Within this year, which means four in Orlando, two in California, two in Paris, one in Shanghai, two in Tokyo, um, and one in Hong Kong. And how many have you done so far? I'm at eight. You've already completed eight That's at good. month six. That's correct. Going into month seven. Excellent. And when you come back to Tokyo, will you complete the other Tokyo Park? I will, yes. So that'll be nine. Yes. And you've got... Shanghai. Shanghai that you're doing, so that's ten. That's correct. All before the end of July. That's correct, which means I have to hit Disneyland Paris. Okay. To hit the last two. Oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. Well, you're going you're gonna to duplicate some of them. That's right. Because we're going to go again in September of to, course. to California. But I'm okay with that because right. I, I, don't have, I don't have a maximum. I just right. have a minimum. Right. You just have a minimum requirement. And then October, right? That's when right. We're, when we're back in Orlando. That's correct. See, so if I'm lucky, I'll hit a magic 20 or something. Like, that would be, huh? be wonderful. Huh? Do they have a frequent flyer program at Disneyland? They do not. And if they had a loyalty program, I would be a massive subscriber. I'm, I'm sure you would. But they they certainly know who you are before you get That's there. That's true. Right? That's true. But there, there's no point accumulation. There's no you know platinum program. No ambassador status, right? Which is huge. I, I think there would be value if that was there. So, so digital transformation. I say the <laughs> definition of digital transformation is delivering your products in the way your customers wish they could receive them. Right. Sounds like we've identified a couple of wishes. If anyone from Disney happens to ever watch our podcast, right? They might uh, they might find a couple of wishes here for their data analytics project. Uh, a loyalty program would be something that uh, that I don't know. I I certainly would appreciate. But like. From a from a business case perspective, and you know I'm a big how do businesses ask for sure. work. 
the reality with the Disney parks is they're, they're one-time events for a vast majority of the people that attend. Right? They have a lot of repeat business, but the 70% of people who go to Disney Park is their first and only time. Sure. They've saved up $10,000, and that took them eight years to get to that point. Yeah, right? yeah it is a major expense yeah. for families to go to Disneyland. It is a major expense for people to go to Disneyland, right? Very, there's very few people that are lucky enough to, to, to hit all 12 parks in a year, right. um, much less a lifetime. So the number of, of people that would actually subscribe to a loyalty program or actually would get any value out of it was pretty small. So I can see why um, they wouldn't necessarily invest other than like the annual pass holders. Sure. But that's kind of, that's because you live close to, you know, one of the parks. The sure. reason why they don't have an annual pass that crosses park programs. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, right, there's uh, the annual pass is a non, not insignificant number of, of Disney people. It's, it's customers, right? It's sure. why they maintain that program. Right. And so one would think that there probably is a fair bit of overlap that would allow them to extend the work they're already doing in the annual pass. I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole of something that I, I actually started as a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but... but you know, when we start to think about data and 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 the analytics surrounding it, um, it, it is kind of an interesting like use case, right? Um, uh, while Disney collects a bunch of data, um, how much of that data is relevant? How how much better could that data be made, right? Um, Especially if you're not even looking at the park experience, which clearly is a massive use of data and the value. Of it. But if you just look at the resort experience. So if I'm showing up to a resort, knowing that I've been to that or many other like resorts, neighbor resorts over a period of a lifetime, the kind of things I enjoyed at my previous resorts, the kind of food that I ordered, the the uh, the restaurants I would have went to, the character experiences that were interesting to me, that probably could help them with my future experience. Give me you know special new things or you know plusing they call it in Disney, right? right. How, how can they? Plus my experience, considering this is my fifty-third time here, what additional favor do I do I think would be valuable? Sure, and that's just the resort experience. Well, and and you know, at the parks, uh, we lived in Southern California. We lived in Orange County. Uh, my wife would take my daughter or go by herself every single week. She would be at the park at least one day a week, sometimes more than one day a week. Um, we obviously paid for annual passes; um, uh, otherwise, we would have been homeless um but but the 25th time you go to the park um e even me right I, I like to go four or five times a year maximum because it was the same experience like disney knows how many times i've been to the park because i swipe that thing every time i go right. being able to take that another level and market to me and say hey you know we've noticed that you've been 57 times um but have you done this experience have you taken this tour? Like, we'd like to offer you this as a special package for frequent visitors to try to enhance that and continue with that kind of brand loyalty. At some point, you get tired, especially living in a place like Southern California or Orlando, where there's, I don't know, seven parks you can go to that are five of which are not Disney parks. Right. Um, how do you capture more of my wallet? And the interesting parts about Disney, the historical parts about Disney, I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah I agree. If if they were to offer me something interesting or something different, it would be guiding me towards the existing experience that I haven't spent enough time on, that I haven't recognized as valuable. So 
you know, when I go my, by myself to Disney, which is reasonably frequently as compared to bringing my family, I will spend three times as much in the line before the ride looking at the detail because I've walked by it sure. so, so often, right? I'm trying to get to the ride. I'm, I'm happy that it's only a five-minute wait when I should be happy that it's a 35 or 40 minute wait so that I can actually, you know, listen to the narration, hear the songs, apply background noises to the scene I'm looking at. Like that starts to get really interesting when you go by yourself. I spent one day, I spent three hours one day in Tomorrowland in, in California Disneyland, right. riding the people mover <laughs> and kind of walking the area around the people mover, um, giving some not incon you know, not inconsiderate thought to um, the city of the future based around something as convenient as, as that experience. Like, it was a very different day at Disney, and one of, the, one of my best, actually, like one of my personal favorites. Right. right. Thinking about that as a piece of innovation and a showcase, right, because Disney, Disney's original goal was to combine this attraction and kind of carnival experience with the World's Fair. Right. Um, and, and, you know, really like it kind of clicked with me. Um, if I had a wish, just generally speaking, um, I'd love to see a tech company or two or three big like tech companies get together by some huge swath of land somewhere in the United States that's currently undeveloped right. and build the city of the future. Right. Um, the, I, the Epcot. The, the, well, the Tomorrowland, <laughs> right. to, be, to be honest, right? Where it's, where it's like people movers is how you get around, bicycles are right. how you get around, cars are not allowed in the, the, the city proper. Right. Um, it's this mixed commercial, residential, uh, retail kind of experience design. Um, and, you know, it's, it's zero pollution kind of, you know, the, the green city of the future. Everything's solar powered and... And I, I think that would be really interesting to see, like, what is possible if we start from scratch? And, I, and, and you know, if we look at market segment, right, if we look at the buyer, mm -hmm. um, I think the millennial generation and, and those on the fringes would leap at the chance to try something like that. Like, mm -hmm. I would leap at the chance to try what was in the little scholastic magazine that, that I got in, in school right. that said flying cars would be a reality, right? right? Like, I would leap at the chance to do that even though I'm not a millennial. But even if you scale it back a bit, and I play this game, I'm sure you play it too. When I go to Disney or a theme park like that, I play, if I was the CIO of this place I'm in, what would I do? That's just as I'm walking around. Sure. If I was the CIO while I'm ordering a food, I would make this board electronic. If I was the CIO, I would have an iPad in front of me, and I'd allow somebody to click this button. Or when I'm in the ride, if I was the CIO, I'd want to ensure that the person that I'm walking by knows my name. Like, is that a game you play? Absolutely, yeah. all the time, right? What kind of data could I collect to make the experience better for everyone here, and how would I implement that, both right. for them at the park and after the park? Right. Right. Um, and you can see it, like you're walking around saying, okay, I see a camera, I know it's collecting that, I know I see the sensor, so I know, it's, I know that they know I'm walking by, I know that they see everybody in my visual range, they could probably inform somebody else this is happening. And, and we know that, you know, if for some reason you have an accident or you drop your ice cream, they come, right? They, right. they, they, in, they almost instantly appear like <laughs> magic. Storm. Like so the magic of Magic Kingdom is how they watching. put people there that quickly. <laughs> right. like, it's, 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 it's an amazing, operationally, Disney 
the Disney experience operationally is probably the most amazing piece of it, and yet I feel that it's a I, I don't feel that it's a well data informed process. Right. I feel that it is an extremely well people informed process. People mm -hmm. watching screens on radios, relaying information. Right. And it seems inefficient, and the, the it seems that the magic only comes out when something goes wrong. And the magic doesn't really come out when something goes right. Mm. And I'd love to see more magic when things are going right, right. I'd love to see more personalization. I'd love to see a more interactive experience. I'd love to see a more mobile-enabled experience. Right. Um, I think that sort of thing would be kind of fantastic. Especially if it wasn't user-engaged mobile. Like, sure, I could get my phone and see when, uh, when the best time to go to the ride or even just how long the ride experience is going to be. But I'd rather it form me when to go to the ride. Right. Right, to say, hey, based on what you like, this is the best time to go on Space Mountain. Like, now, yeah, yeah. Walk, walk from where you uh, are, yeah. go to Space Mountain. I, 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 I'd actually like to take it even one step further and, and have it go, um, these are the se your seven favorite rides. Even if I have to select them, I'm okay with that. Right. Um, these are the things that have changed in the last year. This is your new path through Disney today. Right. Right. Um, I, I wonder, and I wonder how like the economics of Disney would change, because the the economics really like it's a serious economic question, right? Um, if if Disney makes three hundred dollars per guest per day, and a hundred of that is the ticket, two thirds of the revenue comes from the non-ticket experience, right? Which means two thirds of the revenue, the overwhelming majority of the revenue, comes when you are not in a line, right? So the goal has to be to move you through the, the attractions at a rate that encourages the shopping, which means I need to spend less time in lines. Right. So how could the Disney experience not only improve for you as an individual, but also improve for Disney if we were able to curate the experience using traffic management for, you, for, for a significant portion of the people? Right. So not only am I getting the kind of a-lister treatment, and you're getting the A-lister treatment by having a customized route through the park, right. but I can aggregate all of those customized routes to speed up the entire process for everyone using that methodology. Yeah. Like it would be a really interesting experience. Having this set the path, we, we used to call it micro crowds. Right. right. So it's not necessarily about the 25,000 people. No. Mostly because that's intensive. Right. That is, that is a lot of complex mathematics. But if you can think of them as clumps of 50. Right. Right, and moving these clumps around, it's as simple as saying, since most people clockwise go through the park, is to ensure that you can direct in clumps of 50 in a relatively sort of star pattern, right. where you can distribute as much as physically possible, so it minimizes the lines, so it maximizes the buying, uh, but then create different buying experiences. So not just Main Street stores, right. uh, and not just uh, you know, the Dole Whip, Something I would get every time, anyway. Right, right. I, I like that you say just. Right. In addition to the Dole Whip. Right. <laughs> but it's really the the food truck experience, which I think is much more interesting. Absolutely. Where instead of uh, you're you're going to this place to get the Dole Whip, that the Dole Whip is going to the micro crowd, where the micro right. crowd is likely to eat the Dole Whip. So the move of the the mobility of the purchasing is as important as the mobility of the micro crowd. Absolutely. Right, and that. That requires obviously a lot of complex algorithms too, but at least um, you're trying to maximize 
you know, the potential effectiveness. Sure. And it, it would also give you the ability to kind of to kind of um, dynamically change small pieces of the engagement and small pieces of the experience, the overall daily experience. Right. That um, that would you know change that the park every time you went. Right. Right. Because part of the problem is the park really doesn't change, and so I, if I go twice, I've probably ridden everything. Like I, it's hard to do everything in one day. Right. It's nearly impossible to everything to do absolutely every ride in one day. Yeah. We give it a shot at Tokyo this weekend. <laughs> right. Fair um, What did you miss? Two. I think two two rides total or two attractions. Two attractions, and they were like ninety to hundred minutes long. Right. Right. They were so very very long. Very long. And at this point, it was 6 p.m., right? So we missed. Right. I've often thought, and, and I'd love to hear what you think, that the introduction of sort of a busker process at Disney would be interesting, too, in that in addition to the static experiences, i.e. the rides and the shows, that um, you start to create sort of busker entertainment that changes on a weekly basis, right? In certain micro stages or, or micro places in the park, and that it's still, so it will feel like a new experience every time. Right. Even if you go multiple times per year, if you're an annual pass holder, there's always a new busker, right? Or a new type of entertainment sure. to support that. Uh, I think that would just add to that feeling that um, it changes. Because the Disney doesn't change in right. any way. Right. Almost like a Renaissance Fair style experience, exactly. right? Where, exactly. where it's, it's, it's very much the same thing, but not in the same way, not in the same place, not in the same order, right? Right. Where you have the little, the, the maids washing, they move, the kind of jester walks around, the court right. walks around, right? And it's more than just the individualized kind of character experience, but more of a kind of interactive, like you feel welcomed in experience, not a on stage performance, but rather an in crowd performance. Right. As long as it's thematically consistent, right? The last Correct. thing you want to do is I don't want to break the I don't want to break the 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 fantasy that is Disney, right? Right. Um, it's actually it's kind of funny. I was at Disney and, and thinking about kind of IoT, um, and and uh, you know IoT Internet of Things. I was at Disney and I went, you know, Disney doesn't have IoT. There's no IoT. They can put all the sensors and collect all the data, and they still have no IoT. Right. Disney is unique. They have IOHT. Internet of happy things. Happy things. <laughs> happy things. I, like I thought that. that was great. Internet of happy things. Internet of happy things. Yeah. We have to trademark that, by the way. Um, <laughs> this is, is going to get out, and then Disney's going to file a trademark. Right. And I, we won't see a nickel of it. We're going to have to file a trademark. The goal is not crowd control. Nope. The goal is increasing the happiness factor. Is that a metric? Is that a KPI you're familiar with? Uh, I, I believe they have a KPI that, that might align with happiness factor. So is is IoT at Disney Parks explicitly a a theme park ride type of concern, or is it also a cart concern, also a janitorial concern? Is it also a uh, a light concern, a light pole? Like, is it all of those things, or is it concentrated? Uh, no, I think it needs to be all of those things, regardless of where it is today. Right. right? Um, I think I think if 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 the um, experience value is a, a metric of the day, right. not a metric of the individual ride, the individual attraction. Right? Right. It's, not, it's, the, it's the, the, uh, the Disney experience metric versus the uh, Disney attraction metric. Right. Then it really is the janitorial, it is the food service, it is the cleanliness, it is like the whole totality of everything you could experience once you hit parking right. on. Right. I mean, if we're being honest, it's it, it really starts with parking. 
the things Disney controls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad was always very frustrated because of we, you know, it was an hour and a half drive to get to Disneyland before the, the Orange Crush, right? as it was called, the Orange County traffic, right? And then another two hours in the Orange County traffic. He was generally done by the time we arrived. That's not really a Disney experience problem right. that, they, that they necessarily should measure. But, but the things they can control, the things they measure is, goes all the way to the edge of the parking lot. And so it, it really should be um, where can we derive value from data, whether that data exists or can exist, can be created, that, can, that, that we can then turn into an improved experience. Mm. It, that, that's kind of the, the, the wonderness of the third shift that I like about Disney, right? Where there's you know full complement of staff in the middle of the night that exists for the purpose of you know replacing a tree when you have to replace a tree or a hedge or to do a daylight uh, a daylight level of cleanliness now that nobody's in the park right or to you know refresh and repaint and re uh, refurbish anything that's in the park but you can use the data from the IOT that's collected through the entire day and direct the resources appropriately when there's nobody in place, right? Because now you've collected all that sensor information from the, from where people are sitting and where people are eating and where people are riding and said, great, it's this bench right. that needs to be fixed because it was squeaky the entire day and we recorded it the entire time and it almost broke that one time with that one lady. Yep. Uh, it's your top priority. I'm going to organize your day for right. the last eight hours of this or this tree. We noticed that the wind moved it an extra couple inches and since it's different than what the horticultural center says that's next on the list for you to go do like that kind of automated ai triage (laughs) right (laughs) right it's that's incredibly interesting uh and you mentioned you started talking about parking which makes me think beyond iot into this sort of smart spaces kind of concept right where now i can look at disney more as a city than a theme park Oh, I would absolutely look at Disney as a city. Right. Like, so how do you how do we apply conceptually smart cities, smart spaces, smart area, smart state, like those concepts into Disney? Like what? I mean, so to take the kind of Tomorrowland example, right? Yeah. Um, Walt's kind of Walt's focus was the city of the future, um, and and I don't think Disney, um, I don't think Disney has kept up with that. Mm. Um, like they may use it on the back end. I'm not familiar. Right. Um, they may use a lot of IoT in the back end, but Walt was very pro show that to the world. Like he, he wanted to market and advertise what the city could be. Right. Um, and I'd like to see Disney incorporate more of that in the guest experience, make you more aware of this is the city of the future. Yes, it's Big Brother, like we're watching, mm-hmm. um, but we kind of always know that they're watching. That's how those people appear instantly when somebody drops an ice cream. We right. know that Disney is, is there. We know they're watching. Um, I'd like to see more of that kind of enablement, and it, I'd like the experience of the park to start at parking. Mm. Right? Uh, California is a very good example because the, the parks are separated by a very narrow walking area, effectively. Right? Right. Walking from park to park is easier than any other kind of connected park that I've seen far easier than Orlando. Even right. if you get on a monorail, it's still not as easy as, <laughs> as, Dis- as Disneyland California. And, and all of that entrance is retail. If you drive in, you, you have to walk through retail from the parking structure. Right. 
but I don't get on the purpose. But yeah, absolutely, like absolutely. <laughs> the hotel, the Disney hotels, you still walk through right. the retail area again on purpose. It's a mall area. Um, it's a very popular thing in the area to go to dinner there. They have a movie theater. Right. Like it's a it's an experience. It's also disconnected from the park. Right. Um, and I'd really like personally, I would love to see that that uh, kind of smart enabled to continue Disney's. Disney the person, not Disney the park, but Disney's view of the city of the future and really start to make that a template for the city of the future. Concentrate on things like the use of smart lighting to direct the attention, to direct the crowd, to improve the experience. Um, things like, you know, a focus on how, how do we make normal, how do we enable normal things to provide energy in a renewable fashion? Right. Um, how do we, um, how do we enable, um, you know, power saving on a day when we don't necessarily need to run the AC quite as much because the load in that right. building is lower or uh, reduce greenhouse gases in an interesting way or um, look at um, some of the new solar um, aware um, windows, right? Where the window, while still um, tr translucent, also has the ability to collect energy from the sun. Or, or even simpler examples where it's, you know, people traffic management or uh, capacity utilization or like of, of just restaurants, right? For sure. Uh, to know when to open or close a lunch place in, in Disney um, or si simple safety and security, right? People drop, drop their children or their right. bags, right? right. Their Heuristic data too would yeah. be good, right? Uh, historical data that says um, this is how you should staff on this day because this confluence of events generally increases or decreases. You know, um, it's a overly humid it's an overly humid day, it's a hot day, it's a, it's a whatever it happens to be, right? And that tends to affect traffic in the following way, provide that back to the retail space so they know right. how to staff. Staffing is a, is a big challenge in any kind of, you know, retail hospitality, um, you know, situation. And, and I and, think that would scale, provide tremendous value. Scale massively changes. Like if oh, you yeah. look at Disney World, I would say this is, is, the, is the one piece of fact that I use all the time between the difference between Disneyland and Disney World. If you take the total area of both California Adventure and Disneyland and its parking, it fits in the parking of Magic Kingdom. Sure. Like in terms of actual space, right? It's, it's 52 square miles of space in, or, in, in Orlando. It is a city of, in of itself, right? It has its own mayor. It does. With a single property. It has its own fire. Like it is, it is a massive piece of property and therefore... When we say smart city, city, it's actually a city at that point, right? It has all the piece parts necessary to do that. And it not only needs people traffic management, but it also now needs vehicle right. traffic. traffic. Traffic management. All of a sudden, that scale difference means that level of automation in smart city becomes as important as D.C. and New York right. and Denver and Toronto. Right. And it's surprising to me as much of an innovator as Disney um, is that they've not pushed that that envelope, pushed that boundary, and kind of led the wave on that, right? They they own the Disney property, right? Right, whatever that happens to mean, and they concentrate on um, on that experience, like like the Disney the Disney the places you think of as Disney property, they don't have square cut uh, concrete, like it is it it has a specific role stamped to it, right? That serves a specific purpose 
that speaks to the overall story and message and theme that they're going for in that area. They invest a lot of energy and time into that artistic component. But I'm surprised they've that they've not kind of leapfrogged that innovation and, and pushed the envelope a little bit to, mm-hmm. to you know, they, they've kept Walt alive in many ways, but in that one I feel they've, um, they've left him behind, to be honest. It, I think a lot of that is this new dichotomy, and it might be an interesting new topic as we talk about it, between creativity and innovation. They've stuck to the creativity, right? You look Absolutely. in the movies, you look in the theme parks, you look in even in merchandise. Yep. Those are creative ways to reuse characters and situations and talents and, right. and, and that kind of thing, which is great because people keep going to those movies. I keep going to the parks, right? right? Uh, my children keep getting those toys, right? That is a amazing use of the creativity of sort of Walt. However, that hasn't transitioned into the innovation side. Very true. Technological advancement used to be in Disney, now in much other places. For sure. They are not the same as the Facebooks and the Ubers and the, the NASAs, right? Where a lot of the technological innovation is actually being consumed. Well, and, and to that, I mean, even within the context of what you would think of as traditional Disney, um, they're not, they, they purchased the innovation that was Pixar. Right. They did not create the innovation that was Pixar. Whereas before they would have created that innovation, like right. that would have been part and parcel for um, Disney Studios to to kind of lead what anim what what animation is, what animation is to become, right. would would have been led by Disney, and and they've had to acquire that. Right. Um, you know, they've acqu- they acquired Marvel. You could say the same thing, right? The grand story that is the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. They acquired, um, and and those things are also innovative in a creative way. Um, their their creativity, their attention to detail, um, especially in blending fantasy in the real world, I, I would say is exceptionally high. I don't know that there's anyone else that could have breathed the same life into Star Wars as the pictures I've seen of Star Wars world. I haven't been to Star Wars land yet, but but it is absolutely on my bucket list as a <laughs> as a self proclaimed nerd. Right. Um, you know, but uh, but they haven't really like continued that in their creative properties. Um, I'm I'm not seeing the new characters, the new worlds, right? But I do see that that blending is still there. The artistic talent is still mm-hmm. there, and the devotion to doing that is still there. But I'd like to see a lot more innovation from Disney. Certainly, the detail is unprecedented. Absolutely, right? you go into Pandora, and that detail is as if you're in the movie, right? right? Um, and the rides certainly have some level of technological intervention, but it's not so much so that you say to yourself as you walk out, that was a ride I've never been on before. Sure. It's a, a ride I've been on before in a Pandora setting. Right. It's a ride I've been on before in, in maybe a new way, right? Exactly. Right. But, exactly. But, and and if, we, if we compare them to other parks, right? You and I went to Universal Studios right. when we were in Orlando last year. Um, they do... Uh, I would say that from a ride standpoint, their rides are on par. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to creating the land, right, the space in between the individual attractions, it's a massive failure. Right. Right. It's um. It's very. It's it. It has a tchotchke factor. It has a right. almost a cheapness to it that Disney absolutely lacks. Like their, I would say it's more interesting in between rides at Disney than the rides themselves. Right. right. I can get I can get a ride experience elsewhere. I cannot get the in between rides, the land experience. It's true. Yeah. Other than Disney. Harry Potter, it's a mix mash of for sure things together. For sure. And it, like 
yeah, Transformers and and uh, and the Minions are right beside each other, right? right. Like I'm not it's sure. No logical sense. <laughs> There's I'm no that part. right. It's, so so let's bring all of what we just talked about back to being a CIO, being a CTO. How how we applied all of that interesting Disney experience or just things we think about when we're at a Disney park to like every day, how we're operating 3,000 applications and eight data centers and saying, well, how am I going to make that better? How am I applying the billions of dollars of research that Disney can do into making my shot better? Any, well, any? I mean, I would say that the, the Disney problem is the same problem in every organization, right? Right. Um, there is a tremendous difference between an organization that says, I fully understand how um, color and light and texture come together to create an experience, and I can explore the artistic connectivity of those things to the nth degree and get exactly the outcome that I want. Right. But where is the person who says the same thing about the bits? Right. Where is the same person who says... Um, I understand how the bits are created, how the data points um, are placed and generated, and I can turn that into the same level of experience innovation that the person does with the artistic components. And I think maybe that's what's lacking. Like in business in general, in the thousands of, of CIOs and CTOs that between the two of us we talk to in a year, yeah. um, I see a lot more of the, I fully understand how my business works when I'm in operations. Yeah. I have a very good understanding of how the business works when I'm in finance. I have a really good idea of how the bits move in IT, but not necessarily what they're used for. Right. And, and that, is the, that is the chasm, yeah. right? That is the chasm that, that absolutely has to change. And that is the chasm that, that, that the Facebooks of the world, as you mentioned, right. um, there is no difference. There is no separation. They're tech companies. But every company that's successful, every company that's being a disruptor is, in fact, a tech company. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that the thing you did yesterday that wasn't tech doesn't have value. It just means that tech is enabling, helping to enable the business by understanding what the business does, by, by aligning to the business's mission and helping to, to really push that using whatever resources make logical sense. I, I kind of see all that as balancing... Um, adding new capability to your IT shop as a balance between creativity and practicality. Sure. Right, where in order to create and do something new, and that new might be new application or a new experience or a new piece of hardware or just a new means to, to build new value for the business, is I need to be creative about that, use ecosystems of talents and technology and information with the practical application of that by knowing I have a budget and knowing I have people that I need to support and knowing that I have a bunch of people that have a long tenure that I need to change along that path and that I can't, in fact, disrupt the business. I can't be so creative that the lights go out at 3 a.m. I can't be so creative that I'm still not achieving the uh, financial budget of IT. I'm spending too much in my CapEx. Or I'm not delivering on the 120 projects I promised to do because that's the practical side of sure. that. And that the new CIO is balancing, like Walt Disney did, the creativity of a ride and the practicality of earning revenue for that ride. Right. Right. That's kind of the new CIO. And that's, that's when I have conversations with CIOs like you do. 
that's when I hear all this. They might not articulate it that way, but that's exactly the, the struggle they're going through. Sure, and, and, and it's the same struggle, right? Doing more with less. Right. I, I'm told every year I need to do more with less. Even before digital transformation, I have to do more with less. So if I have to do more with less plus transform, how does that work? <laughs> right. right. Adding that requirement without adding to the bottom line is, is a, a tremendous struggle. Um, and I would say that, that people is the other struggle, right? Even, um, e even in an organization where you have resources, you've been allocated additional budget, you still have to acquire, train, manage the, the additional people resources necessary to make those transformations necessary to incorporate those capabilities. Um, and trying to align that is hard. Um, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about blockchain um, and it's kind of the happy fanciness. Um, but that's a, I think that's actually a fairly good example, mm -hmm. right? Um, because how many blockchain use cases have you seen that have turned into significant value for the organization? Uh, that would depend highly on how you're defining the value. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that internal use cases of blockchain are just using an architectural design pattern different than SOA because the enterprise architects thought it would be more interesting to use that pattern. However, the external uses of blockchain, where I'm connecting like companies together, a community together, to transact in a formal way or in a different way, has created a little bit of value, just not a tremendous amount. Uh, but block blockchain is valuable in that it allows me to at least think a little differently, to think about um, sort of the on and off aspects of how I'm going to secure data in a federated or distributed way, um, and to appreciate that um, there's a long-term relationship with an existing client that I probably want to be able to see a relative set of lineage across a variety of companies. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure how applicable, how valuable it's been, how, how, what kind of value it's created internally to the organization when it hasn't touched anything other than a single line of business. Sure. Uh, and I hear an awful lot, um, how is that a good use case for blockchain? Like, why wouldn't you do that with a database? Why wouldn't you do that sure. with existing technology that, that you already know and are aware of? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the other nail in the current blockchain universe, right? right. Um, I see a lot of blockchain experimentation. Right. Um, I see a lot of companies looking at, we're going to roll our blockchain, we're going to do this, we're going to try to do this thing. Um, and when it comes to finding an ROI, finding a, a mission statement that has value with blockchain, it, it, it tends to fall apart. Right. Um, it's not terribly well known, it's not terribly well understood, and they just kind of go, well, we'll just go back to the database. Yeah. It's creativity without practicality. Right. And maybe even understanding of the kind of fundamental value case of blockchain, which is not currency, which is not a database, which is not the ability to store data. Right. right. If you don't need the federation, if you don't need the distributed nature, if you don't need the, um, you know, the kind of kind of check value, yeah, security, yeah. the immutability, then you're probably then then you're designing your your use of blockchain is probably flawed. Right. Right. Um, in which case, I wonder if if your use of blockchain is actually is actually uh, just kind of it's something nifty, right. or you know, my board said blockchain sounds like something we should do. Check though. Right. Well, we uh, had a very deep philosophical conversation about Disney and the technology of flexibility. 
We did. This has been a fun experience. It's, it's been great. Not quite as good as a Disney experience, but, you know, a good reflection. Clearly, our next venue will be at Disney. Oh, that'd be interesting. I wonder, I wonder how Disney would feel about us sneaking some cameras in and doing a podcast from Disney. I'm not, not sure we can get away with that. Right. We might, we might uh, rather quickly see how fast um, security pops out of a bush. Right. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. I'm Howard Holton. And I'm Paul Lewis. And this has been The Sweet Spot. Thank you.